this younger, this son who was 32 years old, instead of the dad at 63, it was that 32-year-old son who had the vision to grow this business. And along with his younger brother, they created a local company and made it a multinational company. Hello, this is Elizabeth Mower, president of BEI. And I'm John Brown, the founder of BEI. Each episode, we take you into the world of exit planning, sharing the stories, struggles, and opportunities of business owners and their advisors. We'll get into this episode's conversation right after this. As an advisor, you have the technical skills to assist business owners in exit planning. However, few advisors know how to package the process and use it to drive the demand for their service. Learn how when you attend an upcoming bootcamp workshop. Visit exitplanning.com forward slash bootcamp to see the latest schedule and to register. That's exitplanning.com forward slash bootcamp. Don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of all exit planning can offer and to set yourself apart from the competition. Well, thanks for joining me today. Today we're going to talk about some stories that that uh, illustrate the roller coaster ride that being a business owner and working with business owners can represent. I think that uh, that's uh, more common than not. Business owners listening and experienced business advisors recognize the roller coaster. So, without without belaboring it too much, John, why don't you tell us your story for today? Okay, so we have yet another story about family-run businesses, but I think there's more to it than just the family dynamics, at least in this particular scenario. So years ago, I was representing a company. Father owned 100% of the company. A son was involved in the business, uh, was doing a good job. There were some other kids that weren't material, at least at this point in the story. And uh, so they were concerned primarily about designing a plan to motivate and keep some key employees when they identified really two key employees. So we really got involved in trying to devise and set a plan for them. But along the way, they decided, based upon input from their CPA, that it would be wise for them to gift some stock to the son. And so they agreed that they would gift 49% of non-voting stock to the son and they wanted to do it that year. This, we were doing this planning in November and early December. So uh, the CPA did evaluation, did a minority discount. We gifted 49% of the stock to the uh, business active son. Uh, end of story. So this is maybe December 15th, December 20th. So like the day after Christmas, I get a call. And it's from the dad. And that said, we have to have a meeting. We have to have a meeting tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Hmm. I said, okay. Do you, that can't be good. Do you want to talk about this? He said, no, we're going to meet. We're going to meet. He was, you could just tell he was really angry and frustrated, and, and I was probably to blame. Um, <laughs> so we sit down, fortunately, with the CPA, because he and I are working very closely together on this case, as, as we did on a lot of a lot of these planning cases. So we sit down, and let's say the, the, the dad's name is Taylor. And Taylor said, well, I want, want you to know what happened is, the first thing that happened is after we signed all the documents and, and sent the gift tax returns in, and I really explained to my, my wife uh, what we had done, uh, 
she didn't seem to be too upset about it. And in fact, everything was good. So we had a big Christmas dinner together at our house. I had all four of the kids and some of the grandkids. And, and we were sitting around. And suddenly, things got still. And I walked into the kitchen. And there was my wife with one of my daughters. And they both looked at me. And my daughter blurted out, Dad, do you know that your son, the son who was active in the business, I just noticed that his children were wearing red tennis shoes that cost $150 a pair. Mm -hmm. And here my kids are here running around in tennis shoes from Target. Mm -hmm. It just isn't fair what you did. I'm, and she burst into tears. And, and he said, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny, <laughs> I haven't been sleeping in my bedroom since that happened. We've got to undo this gift. It mm. was a total mistake. And so the CP and I just kind of sat there. We were a little stunned. Eventually, what we were able to, we didn't undo the gift. Uh, we really couldn't undo the gift. But we were able to design some additional gift-giving to benefit the two daughters who were not active in the business. Did you start with giving them shoes? We gave shoes them uh, we gave them a, a coupon mm -hmm. for those shoes. Mm -hmm. So that was probably not uh, a real far-sighted move on our side, our part to begin with. And then the 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 inactive son we did something for as well. I don't know. He had was working out of state at the time, so. What did I learn from that? A couple of things, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think you could probably tell me a couple of things I learned. What did I learn from that? Mm, well, the first thing is that is that it reminds me that in my house growing up, uh, we may have had we may have had situations not unlike the shoes, and uh, and my parents ended up calling it a phenomenon called "How come she." Mm -hmm. And uh, there were three of us growing up. I have a sister and a brother. And it may or may not be because it tended to be my sister and I getting upset that somebody had something that we didn't have. And so going to the, going to the parents and saying, how come she has new shoes, gets to go over to this, you know, gets to go out and do this thing or whatever it is. How come she, how come she... And this is a constant, this is a phenomenon that lives everywhere. And if not addressed, can really lead to a lot of problems. Side note, fast forward, my sister, who of course I get along with very well now, uh, uh, works in the international trade field and has found that entire countries also suffer from how come she... They'll say, well, how come that country can trade with this country under these terms? And we can't. We want to do that, too. We want some of those imports or exports. And so it's, it is pervasive, and we should not overlook it. So back to your how mm -hmm. come she situation, mm -hmm. which is how come those kids have nice tennis shoes and my kids don't? Well, as I say with everything else, the key to planning is asking a lot of questions. Right, right. So my advice to you as an advisor probably Thank would you. have been, did you ask a lot of questions? Did you ask enough questions about 
the children working in the business, the child working in the business, the children who are not in the business, maybe do some kind of testing. If we go in this direction, what will be the reaction of the others? Maybe that, maybe that asking questions would have happened. What else did you end up deciding you could have done differently? Well, uh, I think the, the father, this was a construction industry. The father was a pretty domineering personality. Sure. So we didn't feel wrongly. We didn't feel that we needed to ask a lot of questions. This is mm. what the father had. Because whatever to he do. says goes. Yeah. And there, we thought, yes. we, at least I can't speak for, for my CPA friend, at least I thought the father was absolutely just as dominant in the operation of the business, that, that he really was gifting a lot of maybe undeserved ownership and was 49% of the company mm -hmm. to this son who was working hard but was young. So I just assumed the son wasn't integral to the business. Okay. Um, and all of these assumptions I made, I have to say, were 100% wrong. Mm. Yeah. So Making I should have asked more questions. assumptions is a thing that all of yeah. us do that we've got yeah. to fix. Yeah. And it, maybe use, a, maybe use a, a, some kind of a... You know, we say it a lot, but it's a real thing, a systematic process that, would have helped. That, pr that protects you from your own assumptions, right? Well, I could just, I could skip ahead because that would be faster and easier and we'd be done a lot sooner. Well, but... and we had a year end for making this gift, right? So we had to right. but why don't blow I that thing through. Make sure that I follow my process and my process involves asking these kinds of questions of these kinds of people, having these meetings in this order. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I know that if I follow the process, I'll reduce assumptions, I'll get a better outcome, I'll have a better picture of who I'm dealing with. Yeah. Probably relying on the process rather than the people might end up with a different outcome. Right. And I think we didn't even think of asking the three kids not active in the business anything. It seemed as though maybe we may have asked a question of the owner whether his wife would be concerned that this gift was being made. I'm not even sure we did that. Right. We just went ahead and did it, and it was it was a mistake. So we learned a lesson. So we ended up having to create, there was some real estate that was used in this business. There were about 80 to 100 employees. It was a successful business. Mm -hmm. So they had uh, a manufacturing facility that they fabricated construction materials at, and um, we ended up creating the LLC, gifting the two daughters and the inactive son interests in that so that they had some leasehold, they had income as a sure, result of a lease. Income. So that seemed uh, to satisfy everybody at that point. And so mm -hmm. ultimately we got to where we needed to get to, but it created a lot of friction that was needless. It was needless to create that kind of friction. Uh, and you're right, having a process, if we would have started out at the very beginning, what are the goals and aspirations of the ownership in a family-owned business? I always assume, this is an assumption I do make, that husband and wife own that business. Mm -hmm. Because even though the husband, if he's the business active spouse, may own all the stock, it's a family-run business mm -hmm. at that point. And you have to consider the feelings and opinions of both spouses because mm -hmm. they're both their parents. So they're the two parents. You cannot make that kind of a decision in isolation of the other parent. 
Right. And they so, are the leaders of the family. They're the leaders of the family. So. And, and you know, if there's going to be controversy that some of the kids are going to go to the mother, some of the kids are going to go to the father. And so maybe <laughs> you should inform them of what's about to occur. Right. At any rate, so that was, that was part one of the story. So there's I continue more? to part, there's more. So part two is we can, I continue the, our law firm continued to represent this business. And after a couple of years, the dad started to back away from the business. Sure. It wasn't involved. The son was much more active in the business. Mm -hmm. The business started to grow. Well, part two then involved also the inactive son, the younger son, said, gosh, I'd like to work in this business too. And the son who owned 49% of the business said, well, wait a second. <laughs> right. You're not going to come in and just start working and getting this ownership. So how did we now more carefully design a plan to bring this younger person into ownership mm. and base ownership on his ability to grow, help grow the company? Mm -hmm. So what we really did is uh, we formed another division, actually a separate company, okay. and allowed this son, who had some experience in this area, to take over the operation, the responsibility for this business. So assume that maybe the this what this business did was uh, manufacture a construction-type material. Well, this little company was a warranty company. Okay. You could buy a warranty for this going through this company, and all, the other thing it could do is it provided service. Okay. So this product had to be serviced. All the service and warranty work went through this other little independent operation. Mm -hmm. Well, this son grew that business significantly. The other business active son grew the main business dramatically. And what so, did you do differently in part two to to avoid some of the issues that came up in part one. Did you go talk to the, the son who was involved in the business longer and find out what kinds of things were going to, you know, annoy or upset him? Did you bring everybody together? What did you do differently brought, in, in part two that you had, because we, of what you learned? We never involved the, the inactive children, the two daughters, okay. in these business decisions other than to make sure that they continued to receive gifting. Mm -hmm. uh, they had no interest in the business for one. They are raising families. They wanted a stream of income. They didn't want the risk of owning a business in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. So that seemed to be fine with them. So we dealt with them separately. But the big issue was how do we bring in this son who hadn't proven himself and allow him to acquire ownership in this company? Mm -hmm. um, and so there was, we had much more communication between dad, business active son running the real company, and the in incoming son. And they, it turned out, kind of to your, an earlier podcast we did where you suggest, well, maybe if we have two key people working in the business, we see how they can work together mm -hmm. first and do, that's exactly what happened here, perhaps more unintentionally than than you were discussing, but they found out they could work together. They had the same vision for the company. And, and as time progressed, uh, the inactive son, I'm sorry, the, the newer son started to get more ownership through gifting from the father in the okay. main company. So the end of the story, the end of part two, is we had 
the Business Act of Sun Number One speak at our annual conference at DEI maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, at this point, the dad was out of the company, still owned some of the company, but the two sons owned the majority of the, of the right. company. The company had 1,500 employees mm. and was in five countries. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I learned from that is I made the assumption that the dad was really important and was driving this business. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was this this younger, this son who was 32 years old, and so the dad at 63, it was that 32-year-old son who had the vision to grow this business. And along with his younger brother, they created a local company and made it a multinational company. It's pretty cool. It's a great story. Well, that is a good story. And finally, a happy ending. Yeah. We tell so many stories where things completely fall apart. And I think all the grandkids now have red tennis shoes. Thank goodness yeah, for that. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a good result. So holidays have been, have been preserved. The family's yeah. been preserved. And the company has grown. And everybody's happy. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode. For more content like this, please visit exitplanning.com.